Well, welcome in off the Super Bowl weekend, and we did have some fights of note as well, and that's why we're here on the Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast. I'm the somewhat capable host, TJ Reeves. He's our insider. Fight Freaks Unite substack, bigfightweekend.com. Hello, Dan Rayfield off the weekend that has seen Oshaki Foster pull off uh, a win that he basically, uh, in bravado, said, I- I- guaranteed, I'm going to win this fight. He did for the WBC 130-pound title. We're ready to recap that. Talk about the fights this weekend, some news as well. How you feeling off the weekend here for another edition? I'm good. It was a decent show. So, you know, it was okay. <laughs> We're not going to oversell you public <laughs> ever. We're not going to lie to you. It was... Well, uh, let me elaborate for just a second. It was what I thought it would be. Right. There was definitely some high points to it. There were some parts of it that went exactly as expected. And then there was other parts where it was interesting, but maybe not like enthralling. So, and so, and so what we should say, we've said this from, uh, I think, almost day one, but repeatedly, is we're not going to oversell ever with what you and I do. We, we, we're not those kind of people. It's not our job to do that. And so... I think it's refreshing when I hear a reaction like that from you because you're the ultimate fight freak. That's why it's the name of your Substack. That's why we're calling this uh, recap podcast that. So if you're saying, I'll use the word tepid, tepid is your reaction to what we saw this weekend. I like that every once in a while because we don't have to oversell that everything's great if everything's not great. It was okay. It was good. Foster's a good story, if not a great story. He was in prison. Um, and now he's got a world title. We'll talk about that in a few moments. We've got some news of the week. Reminder, however you found us, social media link, Dan Substack, bigfightweekend.com. Make sure you're following or subscribing. Again, I will say what we said going into the weekend. Grayson, you rated us and reviewed us. We are going to get in contact with you. Uh, you are the one that followed the directions, and we picked you at random for those Tecate memorabilia cups that Dan's been talking about for weeks. We're paying that off. We'll get those to you, Grayson. Good job for listening. We'll be in contact with you uh, on that, on rating us and reviewing us. Okay, so let's get into the weekend. San Antonio, Texas is where the Showtime PBC card was. We'll eventually also talk about the Boxer uh, card in London uh, where Adam Azim was victorious. But Foster wins. Again, as I mentioned a few moments ago, he was very confident. He believed all along, I am going to take it to Vargas. I'm going to win. It's a convincing decision. I thought what was most interesting was how well he fought late in the fight, including in the final round of the fight, to seal the decision. Those are my thoughts. Your thoughts on his win as he now becomes a world champ. It was a good performance from him. It was everything he could have hoped it would be. He's never going to be a, a big, flashy knockout puncher or a super you know, scintillating uh, charismatic ticket seller, but he's a really excellent boxer. He he proved that in the way that he came up. He's he went through some tough times, both in the ring and out of the ring. Uh, here's a guy that was two and two in four showbox appearances, but now he's on the big stage and on the Showtime Championship boxing. Uh, as uh, our friends at Showtime will will definitely trumpet and and uh, props to Gordon Hall. We've talked about who was the boss of Showbox. Uh, he becomes the 88th fighter to go from being on Showbox as a prospect to winning a world title after he appeared on Showbox. So the show does its job. I mean, mm-hmm. you may not know Oshaki Foster from three or four years ago when he first was on Showbox, but when you look back and you see now he has won this world title, it makes him another one of the notable alum alumni from that show. But in any event, look, he had the, the ups and downs of those losses and wins on Showbox. Obviously, if you know anything about his personal background, here's a guy that from a broken home, 
he found himself sitting in a jail cell in his hometown uh, in, in Orange, Texas in 2017. Life going absolutely nowhere. He had been a good amateur, but, uh, you know, and was uh, had turned professional as a boxer, uh, but clearly was having some issues. Uh, and as he tells the story, he was uh, they were watching. I, you know, it's not like and I don't think maximum security. So uh, they had access to some television programming and he saw Terrence Crawford uh, win the undisputed junior welterweight title by knocking out Julius Ndongo. And it clicked in his mind that, you know what, when I'm out of here, I'm going to get my stuff together and I'm going to be a world champion. And, <laughs> you know, five years later, you know, he stood in the middle of the ring in the Alamo Dome in San Antonio and then hoisted up the green and gold WBC world title at 130 pounds. And, and uh, it's, it's a, uh, it's a really remarkable turnaround. Yeah. He mentioned in the Thursday press conference, it was a little black and white TV. If that can be believed that he was watching that Crawford fight on and still dreaming the dream. Uh, a couple things about this. So Vargas moved up to 130, former featherweight champ, and he's now no, contemplating. No, no. He's still the featherweight. Correct. WBC well, right. He still is the champ. He's now contemplating to go back and defend that title if I misspoke. But he moved up in weight here. Do you think putting that extra weight on affected him some? Um, it, it, to what extent do you believe that affected Vargas and affected his output and his performance, if at all? Maybe you don't think that. I, I mean, my, my opinion from watching is that, no, those four pounds didn't make much of a difference. His body still looked good. You know, it just the, the reality is Ray – uh, is a little bit older. Uh, he's had a lot of rounds. He's had a lot of years. He's been a pro, you know, what, 13, 14 years. And, you know, it catches up with you at some point. And, but he's facing a fighter who is looked, maybe was shorter in stature, but is used to that weight on a regular basis, seemed a little more muscular, seemed a little, I used the word in the piece I wrote uh, for my stub stack and for Big Fight Weekend that he, that, that he just looks sturdier just like guess look like a sturdier stronger guy and and uh you know i think a lot of it has to do with not so much whether it's the the weight it's that oh shaki foster's a really good fighter from the standpoint of punch selection picking his shots and and also his defensive abilities now ray was saying after the fight a little bit that he thought that foster ran i didn't really think he ran i thought that he stood in the pocket and and made him miss and then made him pay uh, and that's that's what you want to see a fighter do. Now, it wasn't the most scintillating fight in the world, but Ray Vargas has never been in scintillating fights. I mean, we've talked about this before. You know, the stereotypical Mexican fighter, you know, gets in more uh, high contact fights, let's say. Ray Vargas is really anything but that. He's never been a guy. And this is not a knock on him. It's just the way he fights. It's never been. Uh, an all we, mentioned guy. In all, we mentioned in all of his title defenses over the last six years, et cetera, all of them been distance fights and none of them was he, was he ever spectacular on the verge of knocking the guy out? Maybe he had a guy hurt here or there. So th this was a Vargas performance. That's your point. Well, That's where he looked like he normally looks in, in one sense it was, but in the other sense it wasn't. And the reason is, and they made a point of this on the broadcast and they were absolutely right. I think it was Al Bernstein who mentioned it. He could not have been more on the money or whoever is the one that said it, is that one uh, hallmark of Ray Vargas's career in these title fights has been he's always closed strong. He's always found another gear in the championship rounds, you know, rounds 10, round 11, round 12. And that was the opposite against Foster. It was Foster who found the other gear. He, as he stated in his post-fight comments, his coaches were telling him, don't let off the gas. Let's not make it close. Now, I thought he was winning wide. The commentators thought it was a little bit closer. Maybe you could make the argument that Ray, you know, had done much better in, say, the middle rounds that he'd done late or early was possibly winning some of those. But he didn't let off the gas. And 
again, I've said this a million times, the CompuBox punch statistics are not a end-all be-all, but they definitely tell part of the trend of how a fight's going. And when you look at the final stats and you see that it was Oshaki Foster who was outlanding Ray Vargas 20 to five in the final round and something mm-hmm. like 49 to 20 something over the last three rounds, that means something. He kept, uh, you know, the fight going. He was not resting on the fact that he thought he might be ahead. You can't do that. I mean, especially in a fight where there's no knockdowns or there's no big, big rounds. Um, he was winning the fight, but it wasn't like he was totally dominating every single round. So, uh, he needed to keep those hands moving. So winning uh, the last three rounds on all the scorecards, outlanding Ray, according to the stats, 49 to 20 over those three rounds, he closed the show and Ray Vargas didn't. And that, uh, I don't, it, it really wouldn't have mattered, I guess, because one of the scorecards was uh, one of the judges had given uh, Ray Vargas the first round and then gave the rest of the fight to Foster. And the other uh, judges, Foster was, you know, clearly ahead uh, going into those last few rounds. So, but it was listen. It's a it's a life altering victory for Foster, for a guy that seems like he's changed his life around. You know you can't argue with that. Boxing still has a place for a young man or a woman, frankly, who finds themselves in trouble without discipline, without guidance. Gives them a direction, gives them a chance to make something of their life. And and I hope that Foster realizes that he's got a chance to keep that going for a while because he's twenty nine, but he hasn't taken a tremendous amount of punishment. He's got a lot of skills. He's in a weight class. Uh, where there's no particular standout superstar that that uh you know is his heads and shoulders above everybody else, so he can maybe make a name for himself there. You know he's got he's got a good situation going right now, and uh, I wish him the best of luck. And for Ray Vargas, you know it was kind of like he's playing with house money a little bit because, as you mentioned, he can go back to 126 pounds and still uh, defend the title in that weight class if he so desires. I suspect he'll do that because there's gonna be much more money from the defend than there would be to just start over as a non-title guy in uh, the junior lightweight division. Uh, assuming he can still, you know, safely and and and, uh, and healthily milk make the weight. That's the big thing about him moving back down to 126. Real quick to wrap on this, then we'll get to the rest of the undercard. What is realistically out there for Foster? Because we've got uh, Navarrete, for example, is in a different promotional situation and with top rank. Uh, it, what do we think about uh, of, of what is realistically there in the rest of 2023 in your mind? I mean, he's gonna, he's going to have another fight. Obviously, I would assume he's not going to just have a fight. Right. And you wouldn't think. I mean, look, it's boxing. Crazy things happen with guys having layoffs and that type of thing. But given that we're here in uh, the month of February, you got to figure he's going to get at least one more fight. And I mean, frankly, I would hope somehow, some way, he could get in two fights. There should be no reason he didn't really take any punishment. It's going to be a matter of you know whether there'll be a network to get behind him or a promoter to get behind him to to try to drum up the interest. As far as the uh, potential opposition. Look, Emmanuel Navarrete's schedule is good for a while. You know, he's going to uh, challenge or he's going to defend the 130 pound WBO title that he just won uh, a couple weeks ago. He's going to defend that title this summer against uh, Oscar Valdez, assuming Oscar Valdez comes through an interim fight coming up in the spring. So that would take him out of the equation, at least for the immediate future. After that, you never know. Uh, Rakamov has got the fight with Cordina, the mandatory that's coming up on a matchroom card. Uh, after that, you know, who knows? And uh, Hector Luis Garcia, who just lost to Gervonta uh, Davis in early January, he's the WBA champion. Um, he's coming back down to 130 to defend that title. I, I'd be shocked if he did an immediate unification. You never know. I mean, look, Oshaki did fight on a PBC card the other night. The problem with making a foster fight against Garcia is who's the ace side? I mean, nothing against either guy. They're talented boxers. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd be interested to see them again. But Neither one of them has like a fan base to speak of in, in one sense. There's not a lot of money in that fight. 
it's a dangerous fight for both guys. So, you know, the, the, the diehard, yeah, I would, I would watch that. I don't know if it's that great of a fight, but the point is it seems like for a lot of reasons would probably be something that would be unlikely to happen. So as far as where Foster goes for his next uh, outing, I would say they're just going to take a look down at, at guys who are near the top of the ratings and see who's available. Uh, obviously, as a WBC champion, you know, you're supposed to fight somebody in their top 15 um, in, a, in an optional. Def- or Actually, he made the point after the fight, and he's actually he's right about this because this was for a vacant title. He now has got two mandatories to do back to back in the WBC rules. If you win a vacant title, theoretically, you're supposed to make two mandatories. So off the top of my head, I don't remember who the mandatories are. But that seems to be the case unless there's a real good reason for them to go and seek some kind of exception. But, yeah, he'll probably end up doing mandatories for the next couple of fights. All right. Uh, Good enough on wrapping the Foster win over Vargas in the main event. Showtime PBC card in San Antonio, Texas at the Alamo Dome. San Antonio's Mario Barrios won the co-feature fight. Uh, Really wore down, beat up Giovanni Santiago. What do you want to say about that TKO win? Somebody needed a win. Both fighters off of back-to-back losses. Uh, Barrios off a long layoff. Santiago been on a long layoff too. So Barrios got the win. Your thoughts in the recap mode, please. Well, when you came in and you asked me for my assessment, I was sort of like, eh. you were one tepid. of the big reasons for my one of the big reasons for my tepid response was this bout. This was the co-feature. It didn't belong as a co-feature. It was a mismatch to start with. Um, you know, it was completely one-sided as I expected. And not, and, and and neither guy in my mind is at the top level. So, yeah, a good win for Barrios. He gets back on the track. I mean, he had lost, uh, you know, by a knockout to Tank Davis uh, when he defended his uh, W uh, or his WBA second tier title at 140 pounds. Um, and then in his last fight, he went up to welterweight and he lost, you know, a pretty clear decision to Keith Thurman, your boy from Tampa. Mm-hmm. So he needed the win also, uh, as did Santiago, because he had the, the, the loss in quote marks to Adrian Broner which a lot of people thought he won. And it just goes to show you how bad Adrian Broner has fallen uh, since his heyday. And in his most recent fight, which was quite a while ago, uh, Santiago had gotten absolutely annihilated, uh, you know, by Gary Antoine Russell. And so again, it was, they were both 0-2 in their most recent fights, but Mario Barrios' 0-2 was a lot, uh, a lot less uh, bothersome, let's say, than, than the Santiago 0-2 uh, because he just showed nothing against Russell. And so it was a mismatch. I didn't think it belonged as the co-feature, but that said it was. And for, listen, for Mario Barrios, he got a chance to fight in his hometown of San Antonio. He he looked good. He dominated the, dominated the fight. It was his first fight with Bob Santos, who seems to be, you know, uh, getting a whole bunch of fighters now in his training stable. And he's uh, been doing extremely well with his group of guys. And, uh, you know, for Santiago, it's a much needed win. And what it probably does is it puts him in position to get another, nice fight in the welterweight division who that will be against i couldn't tell you but uh there'll be somebody that will draw him as an opponent where they'll probably be the favorite over barrios again all right and in terms of bar as far as santiago i mean listen hard worker all props to him showed a lot of heart took a lot of punishment i thought they should have stopped the fight a little sooner than they did he was taking a real beating uh i mean and i'm not trying to be harsh he's not going anywhere he's an opponent i mean He's an opponent, though, that has some good names as his, on his resume, so it should help him get other fights if he chooses to continue his boxing career. But I don't think we're going to see him back in, in, a, in a Showtime-level type of fight in the near future or even ever again, frankly. And, you know, he's uh, he is what he is. He's going to become a stepping stone opponent for for guys looking for a decent name who will, who, who will stand in and fight with them, but he probably won't beat those guys. Okay. Uh, interesting. Uh, one more on this card, the heavyweight 
uh, Linye Pero of Cuba ends up getting the TKO stoppage. Kind of a weird ending when you watch the ending, but now we know, we understand more. It was the right to the body followed by a salvo, and it looks like Faust, the uh, the Ukrainian, may very well didn't hear the further update. Again, you and I are doing this Sunday night, and you are you. Maybe you got the update. Was it broken ribs? They feared a broken rib or broken ribs that basically stopped that fight. Pero gets the knockout. Um, what do we know? It's a win for well, Pero. We- what else do we know? Yeah, we just know that he went to the hospital after the fight to have the ribs checked out. I don't know whether they were diagnosed as broken or not has not been uh, stated. Uh, but either way, that was a rough body shot. You know, it was a competitive fight up until that point. And you can make the argument that maybe Faust, uh, Victor Faust was maybe slightly ahead of Perro uh, on the on the official scorecards. Uh, you know, it was close. Uh, I'm looking at the scorecards here. Uh, Faust was uh, was leading 68-65 and 67-66. And on the other card, uh, one of the judges had Perro up 68-65. And it was that kind of fight where they both had success. They both were landing. I thought, look, it, it's not going to remind you of the thrill in Manila or anything like that. <laughs> but it was it was a pretty good heavyweight fight. I mean, two guys who had an upward trajectory, who were undefeated, who were willing to fight each other, who were both top quality amateurs. And uh, it was a type of fight where both sides know going in. Whoever wins is going somewhere uh, better and the loser is not done or anything, but is going to have a little bit of a more difficult time getting back in the groove. Were you concerned in that moment because you've done this for such a long time and I've watched it and I've, I've covered it, talked about it. I was concerned for the shot that was maybe about to land when he's standing there sideways, ribs hurting, whatever. And there's a free shot maybe coming at him. And the referee finally got in there after like one glancing blow and then and then sort of another blow. It was almost like get in there because he's standing sideways unprotected. It was weird. But were you concerned that there was maybe uh, a big time shot? I mean, I know it's a fight and I know you sign up and it's serious stuff and you can get seriously hurt. But I don't know if the right word is uh, maybe an unnecessary huge shot was was coming uh, there. And that's that's part of why the stoppage in, happened. You know, in the moment, I wasn't thinking about that. But, the, the you know, he I think the referee was as confused as we were. But the bottom line is, whatever the reason is, in a professional boxing match, if you turn your back on your opponent, mm-hmm. it's the referee's obligation to stop the fight. Whatever the reason, you're not supposed to turn your back. What, what's the instruction? What's the instruction? Protect, protect yourself, yourself at all, at time. all times. Exactly. It's exactly so right. Look, but but Thaus was obviously hurt to the body. After the body shot landed, uh, Perro did land. Uh, I counted four additional punches. He went to the ropes. The referee recognized it. Rafael Ramos, who was the referee in the fight, is a very experienced referee. I thought he did a good job getting in there stopping. He sort of looked at to see what was up, and then he jumped in, stopped the fight, and he didn't take that big, giant, unnecessary punch at the end of the fight. And a good win for Perro. Um, you know, they had talked about in the pre-fight that uh, Faust had lost uh, an amateur fight to uh, Danier Perro, who was uh, Lenier's brother, who was also a top Cuban, who was actually as now a professional, who won on the undercard that was on part of the showtime's streaming so now he's zero and two against the power brothers uh victor faust i'm not sure if there's a third power brother but if there is faust better stay is away there, from him is there a pero to be named later uh <laughs> yeah and but but listen Jimmy, it's, it's a it's a good win pero was an olympian in, for cuba he, he obviously has some skills he's uh here in the united states trying to make a go of things as a as a, as a professional he's now up to uh you know what nine and oh with with uh you know, with the upward trajectory, as I said, and good for him is, you know, he, he seems to make a decent fight. Uh, he's very tight with uh, uh, Luis King Kong Ortiz, who, as they stated on the broadcast, and as he has talked about, has helped him adjust to, uh, 
to uh, the new life here he has here in the United States, fighting out of Miami. And uh, you know, I wish him good luck. We can always use some uh, some interesting heavyweights in the division. We're always intrigued by the heavyweights. Uh, and Perro gets that win. Okay, uh, let's move to London and what happened in the boxer card where Adam Azim ends up getting the decision. I got a text from you like earlier in the afternoon on Saturday that we we you know we had both hit the over. However, we didn't get the Azim knockout on the Bet US uh, boxing show. Azim goes the distance. He did get a knockdown of Reyes, the Nicaraguan opponent. All right, your assessment of what you saw out of out of Azim headlining. Uh, there for boxer and getting the win, if not the knockout, Dan Rayfield. Well, not getting the knockout was maybe bad for us in terms of our betting show on BetUS, but not getting the knockout for Azim was not a bad thing. Uh, as you mentioned, he did drop Reyes in the second round. I thought he was very close to stopping him, but Reyes, you know, given credit, he hung in there. He's a tough dude. He was undefeated, fearless coming over to, to the UK from a uh, Nicaragua to fight uh, the hot shot. Obviously, you know he knows he's the B side. They're trying to build this kid up. I thought it was everything. If you're if you're a, a, an Adam Azim supporter and you're part of his team, that was the best thing that could have happened to this kid because he had a six round decision win in his pro debut, uh, and ever since then he's just been blitzing guys uh, in, in in early fashion in an electrifying fashion. And so against Santo Reyes, Santos Reyes, he had a he wasn't pushed in the sense that he was like risking a loss or in any kind of trouble. But he got in 10 quality rounds against a very durable, solid professional opponent. He won the fight by a shutout. He scored a knockdown. His fans seemed happy. I watched the fight. Um, I wouldn't call it a scintillating performance the way I've seen Azim in other fights. But look, there was nothing. There's not a lot to criticize there. Other than not getting the knockout, the guy did what he pleased. He showed uh, good quickness. He showed the ability to stand in. If necessary, he also boxed, you know, boxed well. Uh, he showed he could go backwards a little bit. He threw with both hands. He was very quick with his jab. He really did everything he needed to do, and he got the win. Um, you know, it takes the pressure of the knockout streak off in my mind. Not that he's putting the pressure on him, but sometimes the fans or sometimes media members will do that. That doesn't have to worry about that anymore. You're not going to knock everybody out. This guy was very determined, uh, Santos Reyes, to go the distance. This will actually help Santos Reyes get other fights also because they'll say, okay, he's got the loss, but he's a tough, durable guy. And uh, we can get our guys some experience against him. Maybe he'll pull him up down the road. But for Azim, um, who is one of the best prospects in boxing, 140-pounder, drawing a crowd. You know, the guy's headlining fights now. He's only 8-0. And he's been in now been in the main event twice and drawn good crowds both times. Uh, this was the first time for him fighting in like a really sort of storied venue in the uh, Wembley Arena in London, which has hosted numerous uh, historic fights over the years. And uh, oh, good win for him. I mean, it's not it's not a, a fight that people are going to maybe uh, go back and rewatch time and again for the excitement level. <laughs> but again, this is the if in a couple of years now, if you see Adam Azim, you know, as a world champion or, you know, involved in some big fight, this is the kind of victory that lays that foundation for him to get there. Ten quality rounds against a solid veteran, durable opponent where he was able to work on a lot of things. And him and his trainer, Shane McGuigan, they'll have plenty of you know, time to go back and examine the tapes to see what they liked, what they didn't like, and to build from it. So it's, uh, you know, you're watching the evolution of a future possible champion. Okay, Azim gets that win. We're in the full recap mode. We're always also in the news mode off the weekend. Uh, so reports are out there about Canelo Alvarez and John Ryder. That name has been mentioned. You've actually reported that that is a prominent name. It's not the official name. Well, now a report says Mexico 
potentially for Cinco de Mayo weekend. What do we know coming off the weekend? More to come. Uh, you know, obviously that would be about 90 days from now that they would be fighting thereabouts, give or take. What what do we know about Ryder being the opponent? And if Canelo is fighting in Mexico, help me here. It's been at least a decade or more since he has fought a title fight in Mexico, Dan Rayfield. Yeah, I mean, he's never had a title fight in Mexico. I mean, all of his world title fights have done uh, elsewhere. Uh, no, look, I mean, ever since the fight happened against Golovkin, that it was his last match in September of last year, it's it's always been that he's, when he comes back, I mean, first of all, there was some uh, thought originally that maybe he would lie off till the fall because he was having the, the, the I guess it was minor surgery on, on the wrist. Uh, but that went okay. So it was going to be the plan to come back in May. Um, they weren't looking to take some mega fight in May. There wasn't really a mega fight to be had in May, frankly, because even if he wants to have the rematch with Bevel, that was always contemplated for the, the later part of the year. Um, and so this seems like it was the right spot. May 6th is not a secret. That's always been uh, sort of the date. That's the Cinco de Mayo weekend. That's the Saturday. So there was never a question about that. The fact that John Ryder is the likely opponent, not a surprise, as you mentioned, uh, myself and many others have reported that all along. That's a fight. Ryder, technically speaking, is one of Canelo's mandatories because he has a uh, a, a, a uh, interim title or a I take the bag, a secondary title, whatever the case may be. And uh, so now they're getting it locked in because that, you know, you look around the landscape of 168 pounds, uh, you have the two bigger names between, like, say, Benavides and uh, Caleb Plant. They're fighting each other. And obviously Canelo already knocked out Caleb Plant, so there was no real, you know, movement to see that rematch or anything like that. And just to correct myself, yeah, uh, Ryder is the WBO's interim champion, and obviously Canelo has undisputed that that would be technically his mandatory. Look, he's going to come for the right price. Uh, I think the only intrigue in this was not so much that he's going to fight Ryder on May 6th, if that's what they finalized. The question to me and to many others was, where would the fight be? Would he just have another fight in Las Vegas or somewhere else in the United States? There has also been the talk possibly of Canelo fighting in the UK, which is where John Ryder is from. Canelo has said many times that sometime before he's retired, he would like to fight overseas. But I know how important it's been for him to have a fight in Mexico where he's never had a world title fight. Uh, and in talking to some of Canelo's people, they said this might be the spot to do that. And look, if he does have the fight in Mexico, in his home area, in Jalisco, they would do this and take a, take a law, take um, a less money than going somewhere else. But when you've made hundreds of millions of dollars like Canelo, who wears his ethnicity and his culture on his sleeve, he wants to go home and give them and his people a big deal. It's not like he's not going to be paid for. He just will make a little less to have a fight in Mexico where obviously you can't generate the kind of money from the gate or from sponsors or that type of thing as you can if you're in a place like Las Vegas. And so I think there's a real good chance that he does wind up back in uh, in, uh, in Mexico. And it's kind of like, you know, he can check that off the box. You know, one thing about Canelo you have to understand is every single time he fights, he's got to find something in it to motivate him when you get to that level. Becoming undisputed, that was a huge deal. He wanted at some point to fight in New York City. Right. So Golden Boy, near the end of their tenure together, they took him to Madison Square Garden for the Rocky Fielding fight. You know, and now he's, he's done undisputed. There's not some mega fight there. This is sort of like you pick your spot. This might be the chance to do another thing he really wants to do which is to go home and have a Mexico fight. And along those same lines, Eddie Hearn, who talks all the time about everything out of both sides of his mouth and every which direction. So uh, Hearn has said England fighting in the UK and maybe fighting Ryder in the UK would be one of those challenges. I don't know how much Canelo cares about that or not. Hearn made it seem like he cares about that. 
I think the Mexico angle is the better angle than the England angle. Maybe we're being provincial in North America. No, I, I just don't think know, that Canelo, what's your thought on that? My thought is Canelo absolutely would like at some point to fight in the UK. You, you think to yourself, okay, maybe it makes sense if he's fighting a John Ryder. But I think if you said to Canelo, for this particular spot in May 2023, the option is to fight John Ryder in the UK or the option is to have a fight against John Ryder and do it in Mexico. I think as much as Canelo would like to fight in the UK, He's that much more interested to bring a, a fight home. So if you have the, the option, you know, go with your heart and bring the fight home. You know, the difference in money, if you've made hundreds of millions of dollars, is quite negligible, it seems to me. That if it's a, a little bit less to go to, to Mexico, you know, you, you owe it to your fans in a sense. I mean, they've supported you forever. You know, you are the face of boxing, but more particular, you're the face of Mexican boxing, obviously. Um, bring a big time fight back. I mean, when Julio Cesar Chavez was number one pound for pound or one of the superstars of the sport. He had, he had a bunch of fights in Mexico. He yes. fought in Monterey. He fought in Mexico city. I mean, when he fought in Mexico city uh, against Greg Haugen, they drew the all time record, 135,000 or still, something. Still the record Azteca stadium. Yes. So, you know, they're not going to fight in Azteca stadium because the fight theoretically, if it's in Mexico would be in uh, not Mexico city it would probably be in, you know, Guadalajara or, you know, in, in which is in his home state. Um, you know, look, I think it'd be kind of cool. And to tell you the truth, you know, if they get that worked out, I would strongly consider making the trip to, to go cover that fight. Rayfield going international. We like. Well, I've that. been to Mexico to cover. I've covered. I fights there. I've covered. I know fights that. I, I love Rayfield going. I mean, I don't. I haven't been like around the world, but I've covered you know fights in multiple fights in the UK. I've covered fights in Canada. I've covered fights in Puerto Rico. I've covered fights in Mexico. But I would love to go back to Mexico to. Did cover you go to fight. Australia a couple times, including for the Horn Pacquiao? Were you there for Horn Pacquiao? I, I did not. I did not. not. And as a matter of fact, when when Manny fought in Macau. Uh, I, I could have gone. I, the trip was approved at ESPN, uh, and I just I could not bring myself to make that trip. That was such a long trip. I just it is a long look. Trip. I don't really care to travel to fly. I've done it. I've flown a million miles in my day. Uh, the the uh, the Macau trip was a little daunting, and I just I was like, you know what, I'm not going. I understand. All right, so maybe Canelo, maybe Mexico. Mexico's a different story. That that's that's a day trip, not a problem there. All right. Uh, what else on some fight news? And we got a little nostalgia and then we're done. Uh, anything else on the fight? We got news on uh, what? Jack Catterall, who's waiting and waiting for Josh Taylor. And now the, the rumors are out there again that Taylor may not fight Catterall next because of his injury. He might fight Teofimo Lopez. You have an update on Catterall that he's going to go ahead and fight, right? Yeah, I mean, Jack Catterall, boxer, announced just a few days ago uh, for their card they have in Manchester on March 25th. The main event is going to be the mandatory that uh, they made a deal for a few weeks ago for Lawrence O'Coley to fight his mandatory David Light. What they announced besides making that fight official was that they have Catterall, no opponent yet, but he's finally on the undercard. Now, Catterall was supposed to fight and uh, the, the much-anticipated rematch against the junior welterweight champion Josh Taylor. That fight was supposed to be in December. It got postponed uh, into February. Then it was supposed to be on March uh, I think it was March 4th. Then it was postponed yet again because Catterall suffered a foot injury. And so now he's going to be okay to come back later in March uh, against, uh, you know, whoever they line him up with on this card. But that meant that Taylor was sitting around and sort of waiting and I guess they got tired of it. And so now again, it's not done or anything like that, but there's the conversations are going on between the teams of uh, Jack Catterall and of Tiafimo Lopez to have Tiafimo Lopez who became the mandatory for Josh Taylor's WBO title with the victory against Sander Martin that took place in December about him fighting Josh Taylor next 
Uh, they would probably they would do that fight in Scotland or you know somewhere in the UK anyway. Probably Scotland because that's where Josh is from and where they would draw the biggest crowd. You know, I mean, I, I kind of will believe it when I see it. It's not a bad fight. <laughs> I mean, I do think the Catterall fight was something that you know they needed to sort of get out of the way after the controversy of that one. Uh, what happened the first time around they haven't been able to get it lined up because of the various postponements and obviously you can't do anything about an injury um so if you fight clarify if you know, that's for me because you said be, this. Be a big fight. clarify for the, for me on this i thought taylor is the one that's re-injured and injured his ankle and that's what postponed the fight that was supposed to be somewhere around march did i, did I misspeak yes you were saying catterall but i thought taylor was injured. Taylor. no it is taylor and if yes, and taylor, if i'm if i'm catterall here I believe Catterall won that first fight. And the whole juice behind the rematch was give him another chance because a lot of people believe he won that first fight. And, and now way, it's Josh been Taylor, so long. It's been Josh so long. Taylor we don't care. Yeah. Josh Taylor thought he won, but was tired of taking all the criticism. So credit to Josh, Josh Taylor can think all, that he won all he won, but he got knocked down and he got any, he, and he was in real trouble on another occasion and whatever. And, but the juice behind this, my point is, is gone by now. We're now like a no, year plus no, later. I, I think we're not. No, first of all, what are you talking about? We're not a year plus later. The fight was last February. We're one right, year, so we're a year later. Forgive me. And neither guy has fought since for different reasons. And the fight was postponed for different reasons, part of which was not the fight, the fault of either fighter. Part of it was because of the way that Sky in the UK was lining up their, their uh, schedule and they didn't want to go on the same day as something else or they got behind a different fight instead. So, you know, the, the, the juice has not gone at all. Trust me, if they announce the fight and they do it, there will be a tremendous amount of interest. Now, if in fact Taylor was hurt and he can't go in March, okay, so be it. Uh, if they're going to do the fight with Tifimo in, I think, June is what they're looking at. There's nothing wrong with that fight either, but I do think that at some point, whether it's before a potential Taylor Tiafimo fight or after, you still got to clean up the mess with Caterall, period. All right, next up, uh, interesting that Albert Pueyo apparently is also going to be back. Tell me more about opponent and we, when do we think this is? Well, it's sort of like the, all this stuff going on in the junior welterweight division. We're just talking about you know what's going to go on with Josh Taylor, how we might fight Tiafimo, and and uh, Catterall is having a different fight. Uh, but Alberto Pueyo holds now the WBA title, which is one of the belts that uh, Taylor let go of when he decided to pursue the rematch with Jack Catterall. He did that rather than fight uh, Pueyo, who was the mandatory. Uh, and so there was a lot of, you know, okay, well, who's Pueyo going to fight? Now, I know that there was a lot of conversation that, that he was going to be matched up against Gary Antoine Russell. And, uh, you know, that would have been an interesting match. Antoine, Gary Antoine is, the, as you know, the brother of Gary Russell Jr., undefeated up-and-comer. And I'm told that Gary Antoine, uh, for whatever the reason was, was not ready for that fight, didn't want that fight just yet, wanted to hold off on it. Okay, fine. And so in that case, Pueyo now is being matched with Rolando Romero, whose last fight uh, was a knockout loss to Javante Davis in a competitive fight. I'm not sure why he qualifies for an immediate title shot after – being knocked out like that. But you know what? In terms of like a promotion, in terms of the spice, uh, you know, Raleigh Romero, if they make a match for him, he's going to talk it up. And anyway, that fight is supposed to be a Showtime main event coming up sometime on a date TBA in April. Uh, I'm told by uh, people involved uh, and at Showtime that the fight will happen. They just don't have the date locked in. But that'll be another fight uh, in the 140 division. And uh, certainly uh, Raleigh Romero, you know, he makes things interesting whenever he fights, at least in the pre-fight. Obviously, he'll be moving up from 135 to 140, and we'll see how that goes for him. Good on that. Also, news. Uh, we're going to hold our nose while we say this because you said your piece on the Zerto ramirez Gabe Rosado fight that's coming in March. Uh, it is a stay busy for Zerto. 
but they've announced undercard fight for Golden Boy will involve Jojo Diaz. Not officially announced, but both fighters have uh, said, I think, on their social media that they've signed for this fight, but it'll be Joseph Diaz Jr., uh, who's lost two fights in a row, former 130-pound title holder, but has lost uh, two fights at 135. He'll be taking on the well-traveled former title uh, challenger, Mercedo Hesta, the southpaw, the Filipino who lives in San Diego. Remember, Hesta was the fighter that was supposed to be lined up to fight Ryan Garcia in January had Garcia opted for the interim bout prior to trying to finalize the Tank Davis fight. Uh, Ryan elected not to have the interim fight. Hesta was available. Golden Boy has worked with Hesta. They're looking for another fight for Joseph Diaz. And so uh, you see Jojo Diaz taking on Hesta, which will be the co-feature of the, uh, as you said, hold your nose, Zerto Ramirez, Gabriel Rosado (laughs) headliner. So that's a better, I mean, I'm not saying that uh, Joseph Diaz Jr. against Mercedo Hesta is some kind of uh, must-see kind of fight. Uh, we keep it real here, but it's still a hell of a lot better than that shit main event. Oh, uh, yeah, I would agree with you on that. Uh, all right, we wind it down on the Fight Freaks Unite uh, recap podcast. By the way, we should make mention you and I are doing this, and we are doing this before Super Bowl Fifty Seven takes place. So that's not that's why we're not glib on what happened with the game. Uh, for those that are football fans, I mean this this obviously engulfs all of Sunday. It's engulfed really the weekend, but engulfs all of Sunday afternoon, Sunday night. So we're doing this before that. So we don't know what happened on that, but as we wind it down and wrap it well, up, we're, let's get... we're doing it before the game because we want to watch the game. We want to watch the game. Exactly. We got food to consume. Lots of it. Uh, but we want to get nostalgic before we get to, to uh, the Super Bowl. We got to get nostalgic one more time because there's a Monday anniversary. We were talking about De La Hoya before uh, Oscar De La Hoya fighting all the great fighters. Give me something on, uh, on Monday is what the 24th anniversary of what turned out to be uh, a very exciting fight with Oscar and Ike Quarte. Listen, that was a huge fight back at the time. Uh, I can't believe it's been 24 years ago. That was just before uh, my time, you know, roughly one year, almost to the day of when I was uh, hired to be a full-time boxing reporter at USA Today. Uh, But the bottom line was at the time, Oscar was the dominating figure in the sport. He was the uh, WBC's welterweight champion. You know, it should have been a unification fight by all accounts. Corte had been the WBA title holder. He ended up giving, giving up the title uh, rather than making some uh, cockamamie mandatory to get this big mega fight with uh, De La Hoya off the ground. By but the way, at- score yourself five bonus points for cockamamie. I've always loved that word. Continue. <laughs> Continue on. <laughs> the, the thing about it was, this was a one lot of, of people would think that you and I are cockamamie, <laughs> but those people have props. Keep going. <laughs> This was one of those fights where you've heard – that's what's put in the more recent times. There have been fights where Canelo opted to take on opponents where his handlers weren't so hot for him to fight the guy. I know definitely there when he was with Golden Boy, uh, they weren't keen on him fighting, for example, Austin Trout. Uh, he he made them do it, basically. Uh, they weren't keen on having him fight Arislandi Lara. But he insisted, Laura, I was there when he came to the press conference after one of Canelo's fights and basically forced him into, you know, and and, and really got his dander up by going after him. And Canelo's like, F this guy, I'm going to fight him and kind of went against him. And if you go back to Ike Porte as an opponent for Oscar De La Hoya, that was kind of a similar situation with Oscar and top rank. You know, Oscar wanted, he was being a little bit criticized for uh, some of the the type of opponents he was facing. Uh, Corte was a highly regarded a guy with a, with a good jab. He'd been on HBO several times and was creating a little bit of a name, but maybe not like a superstar. But everybody that followed boxing knew Ike Corte is a dangerous dude. Uh, remember, Oscar had had in his previous fight was uh, 
for whatever reason, he had taken a rematch with Chavez and, you know, and pummeled him uh, a big name, but obviously past his best days. They wanted to see Oscar step up and Oscar wanted to step up. And, and one of the great hallmarks of Oscar De La Hoya's career, which we talked about uh, before, is the the strength of schedule that if over the course of a, of a long career that Oscar had, he really fought everybody. And Ike Corte, he fought, you know, basically, you know, when Ike was near his best and it was a tremendous fight, it was a very close fight. There are those that think that Ike won. He did not win that fight. But look, there were some big memorable moments. Uh, Oscar got dropped in the sixth round. Ike got dropped in the sixth round, a tremendous round. But then if you thought the fight was close, Oscar did what a champion is supposed to do in a very memorable uh, sequence. Round 12, he's got Corte in trouble and he's pounding him on the ropes and he's closing the show the way a champion is supposed to close the show. And mm -hmm. even though he didn't get the stoppage, there's the memorable call from uh, the great Jim Lampley from HBO where he has Ike Corte draped on the ropes and and uh, the, the referee, the late Mitch Halpern, is looking in like he's about to stop the fight and Lampley is yelling and going crazy like it's Leonard Hearns all over again. Remember when... Leonard had Tommy draped on the on the ropes in the 14th round, and it's going to be like Leonard Hearns all over again if he stops the fight. Now, in Leonard Hearns, the fight got stopped. Corte somehow was able to survive. Oscar was a little bit punched out, uh, but he closed the show with a big 12th round, and he won the fight. And uh, the fact that it was 24 years ago blows my mind, but a really good fight. And and all those people that, that like to dump on Oscar De La Hoya and say, well, you know, he's a big star, but he lost all his big fights. That's bullshit because I Corte was a really big mm -hmm. fucking fight, and he won that fight. And he did it the way you're supposed to, by biting down and going after it in the last round and, and making sure that he didn't leave any doubt. I agree with you on all of those points, and we've talked a lot about him. Uh, and, and there's another there's another anniversary on Monday for him. And by the way, by the way let more, me just say one other thing. Yeah, yeah. Is when it comes to Oscar, like in that year of 1999 when that fight took place, all right. he opened that year in February. Now we're sitting here talking about like, you know, will Oshaki Foster fight again in this year? You know, not exactly an Oscar De La Hoya level name. Take a think about this for a second. Oscar comes into 19. He closes 98 with the win over Chavez in the rematch that I mentioned moments ago. He starts off 1999 with the huge victory on pay-per-view against Ike Corte. He comes back to live HBO, not a pay-per-view. Some fighters are incapable of going backwards because they think they can only keep going up. But Oscar understood, you know, for the fight not that big, I got to keep making money. I got to keep in front of my fans. He came back after a February fight. He fought in May. Uh, against Obakar, mm -hmm. a, a good fighter and, a, and a, probably one of the best welterweights of his time not to win a world title, uh, but he fought that fight as a regular HBO fight and that set the stage for the September fight where he had the big gargantuan mega fight against Felix Trinidad, which broke, you know, pay-per-view records for non-heavyweight fights at that time, since broken, of course, and that was that was a huge year. So in the same year, Oscar beat Ike Corte, beat Obakar, a quality win, and then you know, got robbed against Trinidad. But the point is, he was the biggest star in boxing. He found a way to fight three fights. Two of them were huge fights. And the key part of what you said, and this could apply to like 15 different guys right now, you're hurting your own brand. You're hurting your own worth by sitting out for six months, for eight months, or even for a year and not fighting anybody the guy, the guys, I, we're not get off our lawn guys, but we're just pointing out to you the guys yeah. that were the biggest stars, 80s, 90s, even into the 2000s, they understood, fought. understood. I got to keep my name out there. I'm going to, I'm going to continue to fight to set up the next big fight. I am going Listen, to between, keep the public interest up for me. And between and, the, between the, the Corte fight in the early 99 to 
the, the second fight that he had in 2000. Oscar fought five times. Three of them were huge fights, and two of them mm -hmm. were so-called soft touches. But they weren't really soft touches. He fought Corte, big fight. Obokar, smaller fight. Felix Trinidad, mega fight. A mandatory against Daryl Coley, smaller fight. But, uh, you know, the first time that, uh, uh, you know, Oscar, that was not a pay-per-view fight, but also one of the only times that Oscar fought at Madison Square Garden. And then he, re then he came back after that victory just four months later, the first Oscar Deloitte fight that I ever covered. Uh, of, of his career when I had uh, come on board at USA Today was the fight with Shane Mosley. So three mega fights and two good quality of, of contenders, but not pay-per-views. And that's that was normal. Oscar was a fighting a, a regular, a regular. You know, he didn't take long layoffs. Now after the Mosley loss, you know, things uh, slowed down a little bit, but even still, he managed to have two fights in 2001. And uh, you know, the Corte fight though at that time was a you can't you know that was a big freaking deal at the time. Pop Big it deal. back in, pop it back in on YouTube. By the way, I'm not too proud to admit, I actually am proud to admit, uh, that I watched, I rewatched the entire Tyson fight. Did I or did I not deliver on my links that I sent to you on YouTube? Did you get to see some of that of the live coverage? Well, I watched, I watched the one. You got to send me the other one, though. I sent you two in that one email, the link of uh, all the live coverage on CNN Sports Tonight. With that Nick I didn't Charles get that ESPN. Just... It's in that same email. I'll send it to you again. But then I Bob Costas, Bob yeah, Costas sitting there on the morning after with Ferdy Pacheco. I mean, that, that was, was tremendous good. stuff on covering that event. And we love the nostalgia. And one so, more, by the way, I'm so glad. I'm so yeah. glad that now that I mean, we're talking about the Tyson Douglas, which we talked about that anniversary in the last podcast. I'm so glad that as history reflects on those on that anniversary in particular, that 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 so-called controversy is largely not discussed. It's just about Buster That's scoring right. the big gargantuan upset when at the time uh, the sanctioning bodies tried to steal the heavyweight championship from him. Uh, it is Except for the idea. It is interesting when you go back in that time, just one more on that that all of that was a big deal for like a day or two. And by Tuesday of that week, so let's say that the anniversary is this weekend, by Tuesday of that week, that was over. Uh, so and and Buster was celebrating in Columbus, Ohio with the parade uh, that's out there and all those news clips. And then later, Rayfield loves this the following week. Get a load of this. So this is next week. The anniversary will be the 33rd anniversary of him being the guest referee WWF at that time live Friday night wrestling on NBC. Are you ready for the audience number? There were I looked it up. There were 21 million people watching Hulk Hogan against the Macho Man in professional I wrestling. I was one of them also. And Buster was the guest referee because Mike Tyson was supposed to be the guest referee, but he got knocked out. Uh, so the big payday went to Buster. I want to say Buster got seven figures, got a million dollars from Vince McMahon to be the guest referee. Probably. And that anniversary, I saw the clip on Twitter the other day. I watched it was on Twitter. The anniversary is next week of that. Uh, and and uh, amazing again, not only that he was involved in something lucrative that he would have never, ever had the opportunity to be part of, but there were 21 million people watching, and it helped continue to hype Buster for the fight with Holyfield that he didn't train for and eventually got knocked out in, but the hype machine was going uh, at this time. One more, and then we've got to be gone. Uh, Prince Nassim Hamed, speaking of nostalgia, what is this right? 49, 49 years yep. of age as we release the podcast on Sunday night, 49 on Sunday. Again, flashy, flamboyant. Uh, a bunch of guys. Am I am I correct? He didn't fight like after the age of 30. Am I correct? 
He didn't go on and on when he. I just know his. He lost the fight to Barrera in 01. In 01. He okay, one so more let's time, count backwards. Like, uh, that's, 20, that's 22 years ago, which means he would have well, been 27, right? He fought one more time after the okay. Barrera fight. When was that? 2000, 2002. 2002. All right, so that's still 20. He's 27 or 28, and that's No, he it. retired young. He, he made that's huge it. amounts of money. He he scored a ton of knockouts. He beat a lot of good fighters. Uh, and, and, you know, he's 49 years old, and I always I, – I lament the fact that it's so unfortunate that a lot of people that do remember him or that do talk about him, they do it only from the perspective of he lost a big fight against Brer. And that's, it's part of his legacy. It's part of his resume. It's certainly a, a loss, um, but it was to a hall of famer, uh, but he it shouldn't discount everything else he did. I think the disappointing part about Naz was that after the Brer fight, he did come back 13 months later in, in London uh, against uh, just a regular opponent in Manuel Calvo. He won that fight. And you thought, okay, now he's going to rebuild himself a little bit. As you mentioned, he was still in his 20s. He was still a young man. Still had some good years ahead of him. Hadn't taken punishment because he had scored so many big-time knockouts early in fights uh, that you thought he could maybe have another run. And uh, for his own reasons, you know, he decided enough was enough. I mean, I can't fault him for that. If he didn't have the heart in it uh, to keep going, you know, boxing is a lot of hard work for these athletes. He'd made, you know, I guess what he felt was enough money, a tremendous amount of money over the years. Um but yeah, happy birthday to the Prince. Uh, I have to say in my early days of my career, gotten a chance to cover, uh, you know, a few of the first big HBO fight, I, not just big, the first HBO fight I ever covered was uh, the Prince against Wayne McCullough, Halloween night, 1998 in Atlantic City. I had a chance to cover uh, the uh, Augie Sanchez fight, the Prince Nassim fight. I liked the Prince. I got along good with him. I had some great interviews with him. He was a lot of fun to uh, to cover. His fights were exciting. I was a fan of his before I was writing about boxing, watching him on Showtime, some of the fights he had, watching him uh, even on ABC back when the network showed fights. And uh, one of my all-time favorite fights, I didn't cover it, but, you know, again, we've talked about it on the show before. Mm-hmm. Uh, go on YouTube and call up that Kevin Kelly fight. Uh, if you, if I always say to people, ask me, like, if you if you had a friend of yours who was not a boxing fan, you wanted to get them interested in boxing, what fights would you show them? Mm-hmm. And if I made a top 10 list of fights to show your buddies, 100%, I would put Kevin Kelly, Nassim Hamed on that list. And the reason is because not only was the combat absolutely exceptional, uh, you know, for the, the the rounds that they were doing their thing in there with all those knockdowns and, and all the chaos, only four rounds, but the whole atmosphere around with the entrances and the hype and the, and the, and the music and the, and the dancing and all the craziness, uh, <laughs> Prince Nassim, you yep. put on that list at least one of those fights, and uh, and uh, happy birthday to the prince. There you go. I keep quoting it to you because we, when we talked about him, where's Cindy Crawford? Where's Cindy Crawford? He kept saying when he came to the United States, trying to find the supermodel <laughs> back in the day, and the kids today don't know who that is. Uh, but that's okay. Uh, I think we're good uh, off of everything off the weekend uh, here. Uh, good stuff. You and I now in our timelines can go enjoy the Super Bowl and see what happens there. But we covered all the boxing here with all the stuff. We encourage you ran, uh, read Dan's uh, Substack, read bigfightweekend.com. And uh, we will be ready to go for later this week and everything that's going to happen here in the month of uh, February as uh, what do we have for later this week? Lee Wood, Mauricio, Laura, right? Uh, Woods Featherweight Championship. We'll be talking about that. We'll be previewing that later in the week. I have to uh, tell you, others, TJ, yeah. TJ I'm, I'm really looking forward to that fight because Mauricio Lara doesn't take any shit from opponents. He That's comes right. to knock your head off. And Lee Wood is, is uh, a guy that maybe not had the reputation of being those kinds of fights, but that comeback he had against Michael Conlon, 
uh, in his uh, fight last year. Just a phenomenal fight. I think that Lee Wood against Mauricio Lara is going to be exciting. Uh, you know, we'll get into it as we preview, but they've got in the co-feature on that show, they've got Dalton Smith, who's uh, uh, fighting, you know, he's the um, he's the British junior welterweight champion, but he's really a prospect, but a very exciting prospect. We've talked about the prospects. I had him on my top 15 list. He's definitely a guy to keep an eye on. So, you know, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to seeing our, uh, Luis Neary back in the ring, see if he can uh, put in a good performance against Hovinissian. That's an eliminator. That's also on the zone uh, same day. Uh, just will be separated by a few hours on the Golden Boy card. So not a mega weekend, but, you know, Mar uh, Lee Wood, Mauricio Lara, definitely the fight of next weekend to pay attention to. I'm looking forward to that one. So, again, we'll be in the preview mode on those throughout the week. Dan, have a great week. I always appreciate it with the insight here off of the weekend on the Fight Freaks Unite recap, my friend. All right. Now, I have a quick question for you. Please. When you have your chicken wings for the mm -hmm. big game, Super Bowl, mm -hmm. since we're taping this before the game, mild, medium, hot, barbecue something else look you're gonna ridicule me but i am not a spicy guy so mine have got to be mild but i like barbecue or i like teriyaki as my flavor so we're gonna have one of those yes. kind of flavors coming up and literally literally there are over one billion with a b one billion chicken wings for those of you that listen outside the united states it is like a national holiday for this but over one billion chicken wings will be bought and consumed on this day the day that we're doing this podcast so it's ridiculous that's why we're talking about it well i'm, uh, I'm with so you i'm not big on the spicy yeah. that's super spicy i go for like medium all right but my son more likes the mild so we're so down do here mild. down here we have not only the hooters chain that started down here but another chain called beef o'brady's beef o'brady's is a sports pub sports restaurant they have what's called nuclear sauce use your imagination no. mrs reeves is big on the nuclear sauce she can handle that her wuss husband cannot handle that i'm just putting it out there i'm self-deprecating i got another question about okay yeah. so if you're having the wings yeah. you got your celery or you got yes. your carrots or whatever ranch or blue cheese ranch all the way you uh, uh, definitely ranch blue cheese is singularly one of the most disgusting <laughs> things ever created the things you get at the end of the podcast do we have anything <laughs> else uh, I think that I think we're good on food consumption, on boxing results. Mild, mild, mild wings. Mild, with, with celery, uh, and the ranch, and the carrots or ranch. And maybe some carrots, but yeah, definitely it's ranch and and mild to medium for for us. I think we're good. I think we're good on the Fight Freaks Unite recap. Again, uh, follow, subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify to the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed. We're always previewing heading into the weekend, recapping off the weekend. Dan, thank you, and we say thank you to the audience as well.